0: Good morning, All Nations Church. Today, I get the privilege of sharing with you on this Good Friday, a message at the start of the Easter weekend, which will be different to what we're used to. Uh, We're not gathered together face to face. There will be no Easter witness in the town centre. And there will be no Easter celebration or baptisms uh, like we plan to do on Sunday morning. But we remain church together and churches together. And I hope and trust that this weekend you will find time to press into God and wonder again at the amazement and the power of the Easter story. We've been going through a series entitled Death, Resurrection, Revival, looking at the chapters of John from the evening before Jesus' death to after his resurrection. And today, Good Friday, we see what the reality of Jesus' new command looks like. That new command we've heard several times now, to love one another, as he loved us. Here on the cross is where Jesus demonstrates the extent of his love for us. You see, Jesus didn't just teach. He didn't just serve. He didn't just do good things. He didn't even just do miracles, signs, and wonders. He gave up his life for us. He died for you. Why? Why would he, why would he die for us? Paul provides an extraordinary answer in Romans chapter 5, verses 7 to 8, where he says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still stuck in our sin, while we were without hope, without awareness even of being needed to be rescued, God loved us. Christ died for us. While you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy of God, while you were still stuck in your sin, while you were, while you were without hope, without awareness even of your need to be rescued, God loved you. Christ died for you. And that's why Now that we are no longer still sinners, but we are in fact, and will always be, still saints. That's why we should marvel and wonder again at the love Christ has for us. The love that is immeasurable, as Paul so wonderfully describes in Ephesians 3, where he prays that we may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Today is an invitation to look again at the greatest act of love. Today is an invitation in the words of that wonderful hymn, to survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died. I'll be using the words of this hymn to help us today. So let's do what that hymn encourages us to do. Let's survey the wondrous cross as we read together from John chapter 19, verses 16 to 42. And as you, as you turn to that yourself, perhaps, uh, we, we pick up the story after Jesus has been flogged. He's had a crown of thorns shoved into his head. He's been mocked. He's had his fellow Jews cry out for him to be crucified. And Pilate has given in, handing Jesus over to be crucified. So John 16, John 19, sorry, verse 16 to 42. So they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross, to the place called the Place of the Skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, And it was written in Aramaic, and in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, The King of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic, When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had finished, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spurs. Since it was the day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that the legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for me. Lord, may we never lose the wonder of what it is you did for us on that day. Thank you that you loved us so much that you went to the cross for each one of us. In your mighty name, amen. There were different people there on that day. There were two criminals on either side of Jesus. Jewish leaders, who were concerned with with what Pilate had written above Jesus on the cross. Roman soldiers, who were concerned about dividing up Jesus' garments, uh, and who would get the one-piece tunic? Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary Magdalene, and John. It can be easy to look at the Jewish leaders and point to their pride and hypocrisy throughout their interactions with Jesus, particularly in the sham of a trial the night before today and their attempts to get Pilate to change the words inscribed on the cross, it can be easy to think badly of the Jewish leaders. It can be easy to look at the Roman soldiers and point to their cold-heartedness and their eagerness to gain out of Jesus' death by seeing who gets his tunic as he hangs on the cross. It's easy to think, how heartless are they? And yet... I know how often and how easily I slide into pride. How I enjoy being right and can get so easily defensive when I'm proved wrong. How I can be too concerned with what I have or what I don't have, or how I care too much or how I'm coming across in a preach or how I sound on camera. Even here, on this first Good Friday, there is evidence of open hearts. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, Jewish leaders and secret followers of Jesus, asked for his body and prepared it according to Jewish customs to ensure Jesus had a proper burial. One of the Roman soldiers there, according to the account in Mark, on Jesus breathing his last, recognized him for who he was, saying, Truly, this man was the Son of God. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died my richest gain i count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride forbid it lord that i should boast save in the death of christ my god all the vain things that charm me most i sacrifice them to his blood Jesus has been abandoned by his disciples, denied by one of his closest friends, been put through a false trial by the high priest and Jewish leaders, put before Pilate several times, flogged, whipped, and beaten, possibly twice, and had a crown of thorns pressed into his forehead. From Jesus, there is no bitterness. There's no resentment to any of those people. There is sorrow where hearts remain hard. Jesus had not been afraid to show and express and to show and express emotion like this before. There is hope and prayer that his followers will turn from abandoning him and denying him and turn back to him. Indeed, we've seen in this series that from the night before today, Jesus has been so intent on caring for his disciples, on helping them to understand what's about to happen, so that they will stand firm now that these things are coming to pass, that he is going. That he is leaving them to go to the Father, that he will send the Holy Spirit, that they will have trouble in this world. All these things Jesus told them the night before. And even here, whilst hanging on the cross, nails hammered into his hands and feet. Physical pain and agony we cannot comprehend, mingled with spiritual pain and agony of carrying the weight of sin, the weight of injustice and wrong and sheer awfulness, past, present, future. Even here, Jesus notices his mother and his disciple and beloved friend, John, and ensures his mother will be looked after by John after his death. See from his head. His hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? It is finished. It must have seemed finished to those who were there that day. The Jewish leaders would have been pleased that Jesus was now gone. He was finished. The Roman soldiers have chalked up another crucifixion to add to their collection. They knew when those they put upon a cross were dead or right. Even Jesus' followers thought it was all over. The person they put their trust in, their hopes in. This he is the one, he's the one, the Messiah, they thought. He was hanging on a cross, dead. Their hopes, their world was finished. To everyone watching on that day, it is finished but this isn't a cry of defeat from Jesus. He didn't cry out, I am finished. He cried out, it is finished. It's a cry of completion. Jesus has finished what he came to the earth to do. What gets me is that Jesus says this as he's about to die. Why not say it just after he's risen from the dead? A Sunday morning cry of, it is finished. Might have made more sense, as at the resurrection of Jesus, Death is defeated and resurrection life is available to all. Jesus didn't come to earth simply to defeat death. Upon dying, defeating death is always going to be a given for Jesus as there's no way that death could hold the perfect holy Jesus in its grasp. Jesus was sent into the world. Words become flesh to make a way for humanity back to the Father. To bridge the divide between God and humanity that existed ever since Adam and Eve first went their own way and rebelled against God. Justice demands that something wrong requires payment. You must pay for what you've done wrong. All the debt that you and I have accumulated, for all the wrong things we've said, we've done, we've thought, we cannot pay that debt. It cannot be paid by us, it's too big. Good works won't wash. Sacrificing something won't work. The only way this would be possible was for Jesus, God in human form, the perfect man, to die in our place, to pay the price for our sin. It is finished means my debt is paid in full, past, present, future. I now have free access to the Father because of this. The barrier of my sin has been removed. It is finished. The price is paid. And I, you, have no need to fear death, nor anything else for that matter, because of what happens on Sunday. I know this isn't going to be a spoiler alert for most of you watching, but Sunday is the day when Jesus smashes through death. And be sure that the battle to defeat death, it wasn't touch and go there for a second. It was always the plan. It was always going to happen. It always had to happen to make what happens today on Good Friday work. Because a dead saviour, a dead saviour is no good to anyone. Relationship with the Father achieved for the cross means new life, eternal life achieved for the resurrection. It's a both-and situation. Jesus dying on the cross is not a stepping stone to the more exciting, more powerful Easter Sunday. They are part of the same package that cannot work without the other. There were many threats and temptations to Jesus along the way that could have thwarted him from his mission. From from Herod when he was a baby, to the devil tempting him in the desert, to Jewish leaders plotting to kill him from early on in his ministry, to many wanting to make him king, to many more, asking for more signs and wonders to prove himself, to going through the anguish of Gethsemane. But without wavering, with his eyes firmly fixed on this point, Jesus has reached the fulfilment of his mission in the most unlikely of places and ways imaginable. Mission accomplished to us is normally accompanied with with some fanfare, perhaps some razzmatazz, and at the very least some pats on the back or some handshakes. Maybe not in this world today at the moment, but certainly some likes on Facebook. Mission accomplished here on that first Good Friday cannot be understood by those who are there until Sunday. There is no fanfare, there are no pats on the back, no likes. Jesus has become a figure of mockery with only enemies, criminals, and a few family and friends there to witness his death. And yet it is finished, it's not the end. It marks the beginning of something new, something beautiful. It's the beginning of new relationship, new life, resurrection life, being made available to all who want it. We've often referenced through this series a couple of verses from after Jesus rose from the dead, John 20, verses 21 and 22, and we'll get to them in a moment. But maybe one of the threats that Jesus was most concerned about was ensuring that his disciples understood why he had to die, that he would come back again, and that he would send the Holy Spirit to guide and strengthen them. He was at pains on that final evening before today to help them understand what they so struggled to understand. It was vital that they understood, so that they would be ready to step up and play their part. The day Jesus rises from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and he said this in verses 21 and 22 of John chapter 20. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. As Jesus' mission on earth is finished, so he commissions his followers. As the Father sent Jesus to bring us back into relationship with him, so Jesus sends us, he sends you. He sends us into the world to serve, to heal, to do miracles, signs and wonders. But first and foremost, to love. And to do so from a position of being in relationship with God as a daughter, as a son. To do so knowing you are fueled by the love of Jesus, that love that is immeasurable. To do so knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives in you, who is your best friend. In short, the mission you have is to be witnesses to Jesus' mission. To be witnesses to who Jesus is and what he did. That he died for whoever it is you're talking to. You need to explain why the cross should matter to them. And to love them as Jesus loves you and loves those he sends you to. Don't worry about what that looks like. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Be willing to go and be led by the Holy Spirit. We're going to take communion together shortly. I just want to take some time, some moments now, to consider the size of the debt that you had before God. What weight you put onto Jesus on that cross. Pride, boasting in the wrong things, having your attention taken by things that are not healthy and not good. Any number of things. The stuff you've done and will do wrong is no surprise to God. If there's anything new, lay it down before him now. He paid the price for it all, the old debt, the new stuff you've done wrong. He paid the price for it all way back then. Lay it down, lay it down and be amazed. Be astonished, be stunned and be humbled. There is nothing you can bring. There is nothing you can offer. There is nothing you can promise God that will make the minutest difference. In dying on the cross, Jesus paid the price in full. You can't add a thing. The only response to this amazing love is to give of yourself. Is to give of who you are in a life of worship to God. Pour your heart out in thanksgiving, not awkwardly wondering if your family or neighbours might think you're a bit strange for blasting out a worship song of thanks to God. You're not in the church building right now, but you are in church. You are the church. And together we should be singing praises to God from the rooftops on this this day, on this day of all days, where we mark the occasion where Jesus died for us. Where we mark the most extraordinary act of love there will or can ever be. were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. This weekend marks the most extraordinary three days in history. God loves us so much that he died on a cross to bring us back into relationship with him. God loves us so much that he defeated death to enable us to live with him for eternity. God loves you so much. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price in full for me. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price in full for my brothers and sisters. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you paid the price in full for all those who don't yet know you. We cannot comprehend what it cost. We cannot comprehend the cost, Lord. May our response be one of amazement, of humility, of gratitude, and of offering our whole self back to you—our soul, our life, our all. May we overflow with these wonderful truths, of those around us, so they can have the opportunity of what you won back on the cross—relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, in your mighty name. Amen.